Okay, strap in. Daniel chapter 6, if you have your Bible, open her up to Daniel chapter 6. We've got a lot to cover today. Oh, friends, this is the sixth week in our series in Daniel. We've been going through this book verse by verse. Uh, we've got still about half the book to go. Going to spend most of the fall covering this great, great book of the Bible. And I will not stand up here and give you a lengthy explanation of what you've missed if you haven't been with us for the last five weeks. Here's the high level of the book of Daniel. It's not just a story about stuff that happened 2,500 years ago and, well, that belongs in a museum and it doesn't really have anything to do with today. It's a story about stuff that's still happening today and it's a story about stuff that's going to happen in the future. That's God's word. And the big idea in the book of Daniel is this. When the culture in the world is fallen and broken and twisted and godless and etc., etc., God is still God. God doesn't change. He doesn't get yanked around by the, the tide of the culture. He's above the culture. He doesn't change. He's still God. The second thing about Daniel is this. When we find ourselves in the midst of the culture that has fallen and twisted and broken and corrupt and godless, etc., we can still be faithful, right? So we also don't have to get yanked around by what's happening in the world. We can stand firm in our faith. We've seen that a whole bunch in Daniel. And the third big idea in the book of Daniel is this. Jesus Christ is the king over a kingdom. And his kingdom is greater than all other kings and kingdoms and cultures and systems of the world. That is the idea of the book of Daniel, and that's good news. So let's clap for Jesus. Yes, yes. That's the big idea. I would encourage you, if you've missed some messages in the last bunch of weeks, go listen to them, because it's just been large. God has been doing a work in us through it. It's been awesome. But today... We're in Daniel 6. Now, before we read some of it, a little bit of background about Daniel 6. It's going to begin by talking about a guy named King Darius. Somebody say Darius. Darius is a new king. We've just been introduced to him here. And he is actually the king of a different kingdom than what we've seen so far in the book of Daniel. So far, uh, what kingdom have we been studying a lot about in Daniel so far? The kingdom of Babylon. Very good. You guys have been paying attention. Excellent. Gold star for all of you. So we read last week about the tail end of the kingdom of Babylon. Belshazzar, the final king, he was killed and a new empire took their place as sort of the world superpower of the day. Uh, this was in about 539 BC. So it's been a number of years ago. And the new kingdom was the kingdom of Persia, the Medo-Persian empire. And Darius here is the king. Now, you can do the research on this yourself. I was going to go here today, but time does not permit me to. But you have this wonderful thing called the internet and the ability to research things too, so you can look up the following. A lot of scholars believe that Darius is the same figure as someone else who was really um, prevalent in the Persian history, a guy named King Cyrus. Some scholars say that Darius and Cyrus were actually the same person. And they look at Cyrus the Great, they call him, his uh, timeline of when he lived and died and the things that he did. And it kind of lines up with what's happening here in the book of Daniel. In any case, whatever his name is, Darius, Cyrus, something else, you have to just notice everything that's happened about these kings and kingdoms in Daniel so far, it's been orchestrated by God, right? God had planned this all along. God had planned to use, to use Babylon... And King Nebuchadnezzar, the first king we talked about in this series, God planned to use the nation, the empire, the king on to 
bring discipline to his people Israel because they had been faithless, disobedient, not seeking the Lord, not paying attention, not holy, and God, to get their attention, sends the Babylonians in who capture and captivate them and exile and deport them away. God said before it ever happened, this exile in Babylon is gonna last for 70 years. Anyone wanna take a guess of how many years it ended up being? 70, kind of like God said it would be, right? That was prophesied before it even happened. God prophesied that the Babylonians would be defeated and that another king was gonna come in, that's Cyrus, that's Darius, and that they were going to be allowed to return home. And guess what happened? Early in Darius slash Cyrus's reign, you read in Ezra chapter one that the Lord stirred in his heart and he said, send the Israelites home. That's what happened. But not all of the Israelites actually returned home. Daniel did not. He actually went with this king of Persia and served him, as we're going to read in a minute. Daniel, at this point in his life, he's now in his 80s. He's an older guy. He has been serving away from home in these corrupt, godless cultures under corrupt, godless kings. And that's where we pick up in Daniel chapter 6. So are we ready? Daniel 6 verse 1. We'll just read the first four verses to get us started. It says, It pleased Darius, the king, to set over his kingdom 120 satraps. That's just a high-ranking government official, sort of like a governor almost. These 120 satraps, officials, were going to be out throughout the whole kingdom. And over the 120, there were going to be three high officials, kind of of higher rank, of whom Daniel was one. So he's one of the three, like, really big officials to whom the 120 satraps should give account that the king might suffer no loss. This Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. Why do you suppose that is? They were jealous. Uh Uh-huh. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because Daniel was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. So there's much more to the story than this that we're going to read. But I wanted to just pause right there. And as you can see on the screen, I just want you to know this morning, your character matters. Your character matters. Character being the qualities that make you, you. Right? The character is something that develops on the inside of you, but it's visible on the outside. It's something that originates in your heart, but it's visible by the way that you act. Character comes through in your actions. Daniel is a person of godly character. We've already seen this in the book of Daniel already, but here it is yet again. It says there was an excellent spirit in him. There was no ground for complaint against him. No fault was found in him. He was faithful. There was no error in him. These are character marks that produce these outcomes. Now, what I want to just say, this does not mean, number one, that Daniel was perfect. He was not. Neither are you. Welcome to church. Thank you. Doesn't mean he was perfect. It just means that he was, he was a person of character. He was faithful and he had integrity, right? He acted the same no matter who was around or who was watching or what his circumstance was. This also doesn't mean, number two, that this is just the recipe for instant success in your life right? It's the magic bullet. Oh, well, if I just do a few of these things that Daniel was doing, right, I'll get rich and all this and all that. Uh, No. Matter of fact, we're going to read that it's because of Daniel's character, he actually ends up in a big pile of trouble in this message. So it's not a magic bullet for worldly success. But here's the thing about Daniel's character. 
He knows, and he's in a foreign land, right? We're not in Babylon anymore, but Persia isn't really much better. This is not a godly uh, culture that he existed in. This is not a godly king that he served under, but he knows, Daniel knows who his true king is. Right? And he knows that the way he lives on the earth, the way he works at his job, the way he treats other people, that's a reflection of his king that he serves. So he knows, he has the conviction, well, I want to represent the Lord well in my life. That's where this all begins. And this has got to be the same thing for us as well. As Christians, like your character matters. The way that you live matters. We cannot take on a mentality as Christians of, well, I don't know, I'm saved So I can just do whatever I want. It doesn't really matter. I'll just live however I want to live. I'll just do whatever I want to do because God has grace for me. Like, yes, he does, but that's the wrong heart when we take that on, right? We don't go on sinning so that grace will increase. We seek the Lord and we seek to grow in our godly character as we walk with God. Does that make sense? So we ought to be known as Christians. Again, we're not perfect. Don't even pretend to be because people will see right through you just saying they will. But this is like, we've got to have the heart of, okay, I want to be like a hard worker. I want to be a good employee. I want to be a faithful friend. I want to be even something like a good tipper at the restaurant. When we all go to Popeye's Chicken for a field trip, we'll be good tippers, okay? Right? I got to get that out of my head. I don't know why that's there. That's not helpful for anything. Because, because, because. It's not about you proving yourself, right? You don't have to prove yourself to God. But the point is, when you live and act out of a godly character, other people start to notice other people started to notice right here. And right, and we, like Daniel, are missionaries and messengers and witnesses in a culture that does not give a rip about God. So the way that you live is part of your witness. Your character is part of your witness. The way that you live ought to give other people around you the occasion to say, even if they don't know what it is, there's something about that person. It comes from your character, in part. Your character matters. And Daniel's character is going to serve here as a springboard for everything else that's going to happen. If Daniel was just some hack and some slacker and didn't care, no one's going to take notice of him. But because he was faithfully serving the Lord and his character was coming through, other people notice. And so continues the story. Shall we continue? I'm having a drink first. And then we'll continue. Let's read uh, the next bunch of verses. Let's read to the end of verse 24. Verse 5, it says, Then these men who were looking for error and fault in Daniel, they said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. See, there it is right there. They knew Daniel was a worshiper of God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance, it's like a law, a rule, and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Just pause. That seems like a really dumb rule to have, you know, as a society. Hey, when we put something into law, no one's allowed to change it. It just seems dumb. Anyway, they didn't ask me what I thought, but I told them anyway. Cannot be revoked. Therefore, verse 9, King Darius signed the document and injunction. 
When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. He's praying to God. Then they came near and said to the king, Concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction saying that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except you shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, This thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. They answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. He labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then he went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. He declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you continually serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God, send his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. The king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel, they were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Nice way to end, right? Okay, there's a lot going on there. And what appears like a nice Sunday school story, right? How many of you heard the story, Daniel the lion's den in Sunday school, right? I mean... It's there, that's fine, but there's so much more to talk about in here. So we're going to unpack this. Matter of fact, we're not even going to spend a lot of time talking about the lion's den part of it, just to, just to be clear. Um, what I want to do is I want to do a little case study with you guys this morning, a case study on people who are victims and people who are victimizers, right? Victims as in someone has done something to you, something that you in a manner of speaking, you didn't deserve, as in, it's not like, well, I did this dumb thing and now I'm facing the immediate and direct consequences of that dumb thing. It's not like that. You you were just going along minding your own business and then something happened to you or someone did something to you that you didn't see coming and that was wrong or that was bad. That's being a victim. And of course, a victimizer is someone who does harm to someone else. We're gonna see both of those in this text in Daniel 6. So let's start with Daniel. What do you think? What do you suppose? Is Daniel in this text, is he a victim or a victimizer? He's a victim. He's definitely a victim. You can see it right there on the screen. First, he's threatened with death, right? Anyone who does this, 
is going to be cast into the den of lions. Well, you know what's supposed to happen in the den of lions, right? We read about it at the end of this text. So he's threatened with death. This is direct religious persecution. And this actually was designed, right? We read this. It was designed specifically to target him, victim. He's then set up, right? It just so happened that while he was praying, the goon squad happened to walk by his house. And oh, we weren't expecting to see Daniel in there. But well, since he's in here, man, we better just do the right thing and report him, right? Garbage, bunch of garbage. They set him up. And then, of course, Daniel's treated with violence. He is thrown into the den of lions where imminent death was supposed to await him. He is a victim. And again, it's, this did not happen to Daniel because, well, he did something really dumb and therefore he had to face the immediate consequence. We've already read, Daniel was blameless. He's not perfect, but he didn't do anything wrong in this case to warrant this treatment. He's a victim. Let it be known, just because you do the right thing, it doesn't mean that anyone else will do the right thing. Right, sometimes we're shocked. Well, why did this bad thing happen to me? I didn't do anything wrong. Why did this person oppress me and harass me? I didn't do anything to them. Just because you do right doesn't mean that they will. Just because you are seeking to be a person of godly character does not mean that they are. Even, look, we just talked about car accidents. Like, any of you ever driven on the road before and been in an accident? That's usually the story. I wasn't doing anything wrong. I was driving the speed limit in my own lane and this blankety-blank, whatever, came and cut me off and did this. Just because you do the right thing doesn't mean anyone else will. Okay, you get me. I've said that enough times. Notice here, so important to notice Daniel's response. Is he a victim? Yes, legitimate victim. But look at his response. First of all, he did not conform. He didn't conform. They said to him, anyone who prays is gonna be thrown in the den of lions. It says that Daniel knew this. Verse 10, he knew the injunction had been signed. Didn't catch him by surprise. He was directly ordered to do something that would be in contrast to his faith in the Lord. And we've talked about this, okay? We've talked about this the last couple weeks. We need to be respectful of those in authority over us, but this is where we draw the line. It's when you're directly ordered, commanded to sin. That's where we as Christians say, I can't follow you there, right? Other things, we may not like what the government or our boss or, or whatever says, but if it's not leading us right into sin, we respectfully submit, but here we draw the line. Daniel says, I can't do that. I can't do that. Hello. You need to know this was intentional too. This is, Daniel goes to his house, he prays, it says, as he had done previously. In other words, he does not let someone else dictate his faith and his practice and his worship of God, right? No matter what, that is more important than any rule or any bogus law that goes into place. More important. So Daniel doesn't conform when he's a victim. He also doesn't complain when he's a victim, he doesn't go and in response to this, make a big scene, right? He doesn't take to social media and go on a big rip about how unfair it is. It says he goes to his house and he prays. He, he, didn't, he didn't do this like in the town square, right? And get up on a box and everyone look at me, pray. He does it quietly. He goes to his home. It's between him and God. Even later, He's still respectful. After he's been thrown into the den of lions and the king comes to check on him, he, he 
responds in honor to the king. Oh, king, live forever, right? Even though you just threw me in the den of lions, I respect you. I honor you. I will submit to you. I will honor that you have. Notice that Daniel at no point in that sequence played the, God, why me? Why this? Why did I do to deserve this? He doesn't play that card anywhere, does he? And if that's our attitude, when something bad happens to us, when you're a victim of something, right, when we play that, God, I don't deserve this. Let me just challenge that for a second. Don't answer out loud, but I would ask you for reflection. Why do you think you deserve anything good? You say, well, because I'm a good person. No, you're not. <laughs> you're not. The Bible says none of us are good except for God. Only God. You're not good. And why is it that you think you don't deserve for bad things to happen to you? Right? We've all sinned. Like, right? We, anyway. The second thing is this. This kind of treatment, this has always been the case for God's people. Always. Right back in the very beginning, right? Uh, if you read the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4, Abel was righteous just worshiping the Lord, doing his own thing. And his brother got jealous and murdered him. He was a victim. Uh, there's a guy named Joseph in the book of Genesis doing his own thing. Brothers got jealous of him, threw him into a pit, left him for dead. He was sold into slavery in Egypt. He started rising up through those ranks in his master's house and then he got wrongfully of sexually assaulting his master's wife even though he didn't do anything. He was thrown in jail, left there to rot. He was a victim, but he doesn't complain. There's a guy named Naboth in the book of 2 Kings. He's a righteous man. And the king of Israel at the time, whose name was Ahab, who was a wicked man, he comes to Naboth and says, I want to buy your vineyard. I want to buy your property. And Naboth says, it's not that I don't want to sell you my property, but because of the way it's tied up in my family inheritance, and, and I, I just can't, it wouldn't be right for me to sell it to you. And then he's killed. The queen orders him dead. And the king takes his vineyard. This is what happens. Let's think about Jesus for a second. Did Jesus do anything wrong? No. Literally the only person that's ever walked the face of the earth that didn't do something wrong. He was harassed. He was mistreated. He was beaten. He was flogged. He was whipped. He was crucified and executed like a criminal. This is the way it's always been for God's people. So we shouldn't be shocked if it happens to us as well. But notice this. Daniel does not allow, allow the injustice that's happening to him. And be very clear, it was definitely unjust. He's definitely a victim, but he does not allow that to become a point of bitterness for him. Because, right, we've done this. I was getting real here right now. Sometimes something happens to us or, or someone does something to us to cause us harm. Obviously, we don't like when that happens. And what we do is we start really dwelling on that. We start, we're, we're angry, we're hurt, we're betrayed, we're furious, we're this, we're that, and it just becomes our dwelling point. And we're bitter against the person that did whatever to us. Sometimes we can even be bitter against God. How did you allow that to happen? Why did you let that happen to me? Just takes us down this whole road that is unhealthy, and it's not good. Daniel in spite of clearly being a victim, he still is, it's very clear by his actions, right? His relationship with God, like Christ is his main cause. It's not the injustice that was done to him. He keeps God first, super clear. So he doesn't conform, he doesn't complain. What we see Daniel do is he continues to commit. He commits to God. 
in this whole sequence, when, when he meets this intersection of, I want to be faithful to the Lord, but the culture is not allowing me to do it, he says, you know what? No matter what, I'm going to be faithful to God, and I'm going to be respectful of others, and the Lord is going to take care of me one way or another. That's what he does. That's literally the whole thing about Daniel. Now, listen, when we are victims... How many of you have ever been a victim before in your life? Something happened to you that you didn't cause or you didn't, uh, like, you know, cause and effect, I did this action and this thing. Yeah, of course, we're all victims. We all are in different things, whether it's abuse, uh, physical, emotional, sexual abuse, whether a crime was done to you, whether you've been betrayed, whether you've experienced a loss, like maybe your home burned down or, or a family member passed away, or maybe your circumstances have just been super lousy and you didn't, you know, immediately, well, you know what I mean when I say immediately you didn't deserve it, like, you know what I'm saying? We're all victims. Now, what I want you to do is flip over in your Bible to Second Peter, First Peter chapter 2, rather, First Peter chapter 2, if you have your Bible, it's near the back. I did not do a bookmark, that was pretty dumb, there it is. 1 Peter chapter 2. I want to read to you 1 Peter 2, verse 19 through 24. It says this, For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return, but when he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed." So that text right there, that's all about being a victim when stuff happens to you unjustly. And I want to give you six things, six points of encouragement about what we ought to do when we're a victim. We're just taking the scenic route today. It's cool. When you are a victim of something as a Christian, number one is this. It is okay for you to be sorrowful about it. Some people as Christians have this mentality of, well, something bad happened to me and I really don't like it but I can't let anyone know that it's getting to me and I have to be strong and be the hero. That's foolish. It is a gracious thing while mindful of God, one endures sorrows. It's allowed to be sorrowful, right? Do you think Daniel enjoyed being in the lion's den? Probably not. I'm inclined to think he probably didn't. Probably not his best day in his life. It's okay if you're not okay about it. Number two is this. If you are a victim you are not alone in it. To this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. So first of all, if you're a victim, what that's saying is Jesus has been down that road and he understands and he can relate to you in that. See, God has a special heart for people who are victims because Jesus knows what it's like. And he has a special grace for you. It actually says in 1 Peter chapter 4 that when you suffer unjustly, it gives an occasion for the Holy Spirit to rest on you. God can actually meet you in a special way in that. You are not alone in your victimhood. Number three is this. If you are a victim, it's imperative. You must keep God as your center throughout your victimhood. 
Right, we talked about this a little bit. If you get off of the Lord in that and you start you know, focusing on your problem or your situation or the person that wronged you or, or you're mad at God because he allowed something to happen, you are walking on slippery ground right there because that's the road that leads to despair and to discouragement. That's not where hope is found. You gotta keep God at the center. See, it says it's a gracious thing when you're mindful of God while you're suffering unjustly. If we're not mindful of God through it, it's not a gracious thing. It's mostly just miserable. And none of us want to be miserable. It's like it says in verse 23, Jesus kept entrusting himself to God. That means continually, when you're struggling, in your victimhood, you go back to that well of your relationship with God time and time again. If you've got to pray to him a thousand times a day to make it through, you do it. You keep him right at the Because he is where your hope and your healing are found. It's not somewhere else. Number four, if you're a victim, this is really important to remember. Justice will be served. Something happened to you and it was unjust. Justice will be served. See, sometimes when we're a victim, particularly if it's when someone else does something to us, sometimes they've harmed us and done wrong to us and it's ruined us, but it's continuing on, no problem, right? Has that ever happened to you? It's like they're not the least bit remorseful. Their life continues on as normal. Listen, nobody gets away with anything. I know that's heavy, but it's the truth. In verse 23 of 1 Peter, it says that Jesus continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. You know what that means? Each one of us is going to stand before God one day and we're going to be accountable for the things that we've done and we're going to have to answer for them. Every sin, everything on the ledger doesn't get past God and that's why this text, by the way, in Daniel chapter 6 ends people being thrown into the lion's den. I don't know what's going on with my mic here. Sorry, guys. Let me just... Ooh. Anyway, that's why it ends. These people do wrong to Daniel. It seems it continues on, no problem. But it ends in judgment for them. It's a heavy word, I know. But this means for us, we're not to take revenge. If someone does something to us, we don't avenge. Can I use Okay, let me use a different mic. We don't need this. Bear with me. We don't need that. <laughs> Try that. Is that better? That's way better. Sorry about that. Where was I? Oh, yeah, we don't seek revenge on people. Actually, we're not even to seek harm for people who harm us. The Bible says we're to leave that for the wrath of God. Actually, you know what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. It sounds kind of backwards, but that's God's kingdom for you, right? Every single person will be accountable for their sin. If they, uh, if they don't have to come face to face with that in this life, they will when they stand before God. No sin goes unpunished or undealt with. Nothing gets past the Lord. Now, something important to mention about that. Say someone does something to you. They wrong you. They victimize you. If they repent, if they surrender to Jesus and let him deal with their sin, guess what? They're forgiven. They're forgiven. That's large. I know that's large. But they're forgiven. That still does not mean they quote, got away with their sin. 
All that means is that they allowed Jesus to pick up their tab for their sin. Jesus dealt with their sin and took the wrath of God for that sin on the cross. So it's been dealt with. Anything that's happened to you where you've been a victim, it will be paid for one way or another. So take comfort. You don't have to take matters into your own hands. The fifth thing is this, very important if you're a victim. Do not take on what I call a victim mentality. A victim mentality. This is where you start to make what happened to you your identity. This is where you start to say, well, you know, this horrible thing happened to me, and that's who I am. I'm the person that got abused. I'm the person who lost the loved one. I'm the person who got betrayed. No, you're not. Well, yes, you are, but that doesn't describe, that's not the totality of who you are, especially as a Christian. You are not, let, let me just say this to you today. If you, I will, if you're a Christian, you are not defined by anything that's been done to you in this world. You are primarily, first and foremost, defined by what Jesus Christ has done for you. Yes, yes. So, yes, probably what happened to you was really bad. We don't have to pretend that it isn't. We don't have to pretend like we're okay with it. But that does not define you. And it's also, oh, someone's not going to like this. I'm going to say it anyway. It's also not an excuse for you to pull yourself off the road and not follow the Lord and not serve other people and not do the things that you're supposed to do and not be faithful to God and to others, right? I've just seen that. Like, well, I can't do such and such because I'm you know, the person that lost somebody. I just can't do that. It's like, I, I can't come to church because, you know, I just have had a hard time in my life. Like, I've heard them all. You probably have too. And yes, we'll talk about this in a minute. There is a place for seeking the help that you need by all means. But your trauma, your victimhood is not an excuse for you to stop living. That's what the enemy actually wants for you. You know, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy he wants to steal your joy. He wants to steal your life. He wants to kill your will. He wants to destroy you, right? He wants you to say, yeah, this bad thing happened to me, so I'm just going to sit right here. Can't do anything. Sideline myself. Sorry. That's not what God wants for you. God has a life for you, and I promise you this. Healing is possible. You might have scars a mile deep in your life. Healing is possible in Jesus Christ. You can't stop living just because you've uh, been victimized. And that's the sixth thing is this. Seek godly help where it's available. My land, if, if you have endured something, it doesn't even really matter what it is. If you're carrying a burden, if you've been a victim of something, seek help. Don't suffer through that alone. Definitely bring the Lord into that mix. See, that's what Daniel did. Daniel didn't really have any rights here, by the way. He brought the Lord in. That's about all he could do. He couldn't hire an attorney. He couldn't take to social media. It's, no, you've done this, boom, in the lion's den. That was it. That was the whole story. But he still sought the help from God uh, that he could. So this is, again, when you're a victim of something, you, you press into your relationship with the Lord. You keep him close. He is our help. That's what it says in the Psalms. The Lord is our helper. This is also where you bring godly friends or maybe trusted leaders in the church, other believers, into the struggle with you, right? The enemy will try to isolate you. Don't bring that up to that person. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to carry your baggage. Don't listen to that. If you're struggling, this is literally part of the reason we're a church family is to bear one another's burdens. Walk alongside each other. 
So don't go through it alone. This is where you can pursue things like counseling services if that's applicable to your situation, particularly faith-based ones. This is where you can go to recovery programs that are available and applicable. This is where it's not wrong like to call the police either. If a crime's been committed against you, you seek the help that you need. So that's basically, that's, a, that's the sidebar I wanted to take us on. When we're a victim, we will lean. Here's the right response. We will lean in our relationship with God and with others. We will lean into that. And we will not stop living. We will seek the Lord in the land of the living. And we will seek the godly help that we need. But what we will not do is wear our scars like our identity. And this is who I am. And, and allow them to define us and stop living. And I can't do these things. And I have to be served. I can't serve anybody. Is that landing anywhere today? Let's keep going then. Daniel's a victim. We see all that about Daniel and his victimhood. Let's talk now about the people who set Daniel up. That will be fun. Do you think they were victims or victimizers? They were victimizers. Look what they did. First, they're jealous of Daniel, right? We talked about that. Then they conspire against him. They literally meet together and figure, to figure out how can we bring this guy down? How can we do away with him? Then they take advantage of King Darius, who we'll talk about him. He was far too passive in this whole sequence. They sort of hoodwink him into making this foolish law that's going to paint Daniel into a corner. And then in verse 11, they just so happen to walk by his house when he's praying. How'd that happen? Oh, what a coincidence. No, they set him up. And then what we see about them is that they were judged in the end. It looked for a while like they were going to get away with it, didn't it? But then judgment comes upon them. These are victimizers. The Bible has a word for people like these. They are called wicked people, evil people. We talked about wicked and evil people back in the spring as a church together. And these are things that they do. Victimizers are people that go around seeking to cause harm to other people. Yes, there are people in the world like this. Yes, you need to be careful and cautious. Here's what the Bible says is going to happen to them, though. Proverbs 10.9 says... Those who are wicked will be found out. Right? You're running around all in secret trying to do your little plan. You're going to be found out. The Lord's going to shine the flashlight in on that one. Proverbs 2.22 says the wicked will be cut off. You're done. That's what that means. Proverbs 10.7 says the name of the wicked will rot. You know what this means? People's wickedness will catch up to them eventually. God will put an end to people who spend their time victimizing others. He has no place for it and no use for it. And again, if it doesn't happen now in this life, it will certainly happen at the judgment. So if that describes you, if you're hearing that going, that kind of sounds a little bit more like me than I think it should. You have basically one option. If you want things to turn around and go well for you, if you're a victimizer, you need to repent. You need to get real before God. You need to surrender yourself to him. You need to confess what you've done. He already knows it anyway. You confess to him. You let him deal with your sin. You say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. I don't want this anymore. I don't want this life anymore. I want you. I want forgiveness. I want redemption. The Bible says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Yes, you can be forgiven. Yes, the things maybe that you've done are terrible and bad. God's grace is bigger. But you got to repent. If you're just playing, oh, oh, God will never know and I'll be fine because I'm a good person even though you're not really, it's not going to go well for you. You need to repent. You need to turn away before it's too late. Third person I want to talk about in this sequence is Darius, the king. 
Do you suppose he's a victim or a victimizer? I'm so glad you answered it that way because it kind of looks in a way like he's a victim. He's pretty much a victimizer, though. And I want to explain. He's a little bit different than the people that set Daniel up. Darius sort of causes harm to Daniel by accident. He didn't mean to do it. He still did it. The Bible has a word for these kind of people, too. It's called a fool. It is. I'm just telling you. It's the Bible. Someone who unintentionally causes harm to people around them. They didn't mean to do it. They're called a fool. Darius is an accidental victimizer. So first of all, it begins with him being passive. Right? These people come to him, these evil people, and they say, hey, we all agreed you should sign a law that prevents anyone from praying to anyone except for the king for 30 days. Darius is the ruler. He's, he's the judge of all this. He should be able to look at that and go, that kind of sounds weird. Hmm. Why would they be doing that, I wonder? It doesn't say anything about that. It says he just goes ahead and signs it. Passive. Doesn't stand up for what's right. And then in verse 15, they come to him again. Hey, didn't you sign this thing? And he upholds it. Yep, I sure did, and it can't be changed. Foolish. And then when he realizes that his actions are going to cause Daniel harm, he likes Daniel. Remember, it said he wants to put Daniel over his whole kingdom. He didn't do this on purpose, but when he gets caught and when he realizes what he's done, then he feels bad. See, a fool never feels bad until they realize the repercussions of their actions. They don't feel bad beforehand. They don't feel bad enough beforehand to prevent them from doing it. They just do it and let everything blow up, and then they feel bad. That's what Darius does. It says in verse 14, he was much distressed, and he labored to rescue Daniel. See, right, that's where it kind of almost sounds like he's a victim. Oh, the poor guy, he's distressed. Guys, he's in distress. Well, he wouldn't have had to be if he just did the right thing in the first place. You know what I'm saying? Uh, he says in verse 16 to Daniel, may your God deliver you. And again, that sounds really nice. I, I'm just picturing Daniel saying, your sympathy means nothing to me. You put me here. Thanks for nothing. Verse 18, he spends the night fasting. Oh, the poor guy. And no diversions were brought to him. And he's in his palace. The poor guy, right? Had a, just a hard night. And then he goes in haste first thing in the morning. To the, he didn't even sleep in. He just had to get up and go see about Daniel. And he calls out to Daniel in a tone of anguish. He's really hurting, guys, right? And I'm kind of mocking him and making fun of him. But the whole point of it is this. The whole thing could have been preventable if he didn't do something stupid and foolish. You see 1 Peter 2.20 on here. It says, what credit is it if when you sin and you're beaten for it, you endure? That's Darius. He's not physically beaten, but internally he's feeling beat down. But it's like, you're the one who sinned. So what credit is it to you that you're feeling beat down, Darius? That's not helpful for anybody. All that is is that he's convicted of what he's done and he doesn't like the feeling. You know, I'm going to bring this home, right? For us... If we're foolish, if you're sinning and experiencing the consequences of that, like Darius, that is not the same thing as being a victim. That's not the same thing at all. If you sin and feel bad about it afterward, what that is, that's the Holy Spirit trying to get your attention for you to wake up so that you too can repent and say, Lord, I, don't, I, I keep just blowing things up around me and it's hurting other people and I don't like it and I'm sorry for what I've done. And you just take it to Jesus and you let him sort that out with you. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be forgiven. Look, if you repent, this is not just empty words. 
When we draw near to God in repentance, he draws near to us. And when God draws near to us, he starts working on us. He can actually change you. If you have spent your whole life maybe, this will sound offensive. If you've spent your whole life being a fool categorically, you say, well, there's no hope for me. I've always been this way. Yes, there's hope. God can change you. His Holy Spirit living in you can change you. Capiche? Thank you. Let's, uh, let's zero in on the end of this text here then. Let's read uh, the last few verses of our text in Daniel 6. And here in the end of this, we're going to read what the point of this whole sequence is. So Daniel has been saved. Verse 25, then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in the, all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Here's, again, the point of all of this. The point of this whole story in Daniel. It's more than just a story. This is the truth of God's word and here's the point of it number one that we would know that God is to be feared right when you read Daniel 6 that's got to be one of your takeaways right God is to be feared that's what it says in verse 26 we ought to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel now we've also talked about this in the past that doesn't mean be afraid of God right that means something different Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and when we examined that verse back in the spring what we said is the fear of the Lord is not being afraid it's respecting it's honoring. It's saying, okay, God, you are God and I am not. You are on the throne, I am not. You are to be worshiped, not me. It's your will, not my will. It's your authority that I need to come under. That's the fear of the Lord. When you start to align your life under the leadership and the authority of God, that's the fear of the Lord right there. God is to be feared. The second point of all this text is this. God is alive and well. He's alive and well. He is the living God, verse 26, enduring forever. You guys know this, but I'm going to just declare this anyway. God is not just some ancient myth that maybe did stuff back in the history books or he's something that was really important to my people, my grandparents' age, but in this day and age, no one cares. God is not relevant. No, God is alive and well. He's sitting on a throne. He's ruling and reigning. He's the king of all kings, and he is active and moving in the world. Yes, clap for Jesus for that. He is not just the God of the story of the past. He's the God that we look to now in this moment of our lives. Number three, I just kind of said this one. The point of all this, Daniel 6, is that God reigns as king. Verse 26, his kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion endures to the end. If Jesus actually is that kind of king, that ought to shape our worldview, right? If his throne actually will never be destroyed and his dominion actually goes to the end, we need to remember, oh, right, that means the kings and the kingdoms and the systems and the ideologies and the cultures of the world, they are nothing compared to Jesus. That is where our hope comes from right there. Our hope is not in this world. It's not in the politicians. It's not in the economy turning around. It's not in global warming stopping. It's not in, you know, my health getting better. Our hope is in Jesus Christ, the king of the kingdom. Yes. Please clap for him again. Yes. 
Number four, the point of all this in Daniel 6 is to remind us God is powerful. He's powerful. Look at verse 27. He delivers and he rescues. He performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Right? He is not just dead or a doormat. God is active and moving in this world. He wants to be active and moving in our church and in your life. This is God. Here it says he, he saved Daniel from death. Literally, he, God showed up. What happened to Daniel in the lion's den was not just, oh, well, the lions weren't hungry. Right? If they'd thrown him in like at lunchtime, then no, that's a supernatural miracle from God. Because you see these other guys get thrown into the lion's den. They don't even hit the floor, and they're done. But Daniel makes it through the whole night. That's God. And I know that some of your guys' testimony is, yeah, I was in a bind in my life and nothing could be done for me, but God showed up and he delivered me. Some of you, that's your story. We've seen God move because he's powerful. Number five is this. You got to remember, God is personal, not just global, right? So yes, God is on the throne and he's over everything and he's big God and awesome, awesome. He also cares about you. He cares about each person. It says, he who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. God showed up for that one person to save him. And he wants to do that for you as well. Again, part of your story, it's not just that, yes, God saved us as Christians. It's awesome. But God saved you. God saved you from your sins. Jesus delivered you from the kingdom of darkness and brought you into the kingdom of light. God made you his child. It's personal. Is that good? God loves you. Tell your neighbor, God loves you. Tell them right now. The final thing, and then my voice will probably give out. The final thing, the point of all of this text in Daniel 6, it all points to Jesus Christ. This whole thing has Jesus right through it. Look at this. Daniel at the start of chapter 6, he is in an esteemed position. Things are going well for him. Jesus Christ he began in a, a place, he began, you, you, know, you know what I mean. He starts out, right, our, our story of Jesus, he left his throne in heaven. He left his seat in glory to come to us. He began in an esteemed position. Uh, Daniel, in this chapter 6, was conspired against. Jesus Christ was conspired against and plotted against in his life. Daniel here is captured in secret. For all accounts, it looks like he's at his home, and they go find him, and they arrest him. Jesus, when he was captured, before he went to the cross, he was captured in secret as well. Daniel was wrongfully accused. He was innocent. Jesus was wrong wrongfully accused. He was innocent. The ruler here in Daniel 6 knew that Daniel was innocent. The ruler in Jesus' day, Pontius Pilate, he knew that Jesus was innocent, but they were too passive to stop it. Daniel here was sentenced to death. Jesus, sentenced to death. I love this one. Look how, uh, it's not up there. Don't look there. (laughs) Daniel, when they put him in the tomb, Notice what they said about it. They rolled what? They rolled a stone in front of the lion's den. Guess what happened to Jesus? They rolled a stone in front of his tomb. Very same thing. Stone placed over the entrance. And Daniel was, by God's power, kept alive. Well, by the power of God, Jesus rose from the dead. It's the same thing here. And Daniel's enemies were judged. And one day, Jesus' enemies will be judged. This whole thing of Daniel emerging victorious... Jesus emerges victorious. And guess what? Since Jesus emerges victorious, yes, yes, 
Since Jesus emerges victorious, so do we as believers. Because he wins, we win. He is the life, so therefore we will have life. So this whole thing of Daniel chapter 6, friends, is yet another reminder of the power and the purpose and the victory of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. I told you it was more than just the Sunday school story, right? Let's pray together. Let's go.